the University of California Riverside presents Blue, Gold, and Black, the podcast that's dedicated to amplifying Black voices at UCR. I'm Dominique Bill from UCR's Community Engagement and Outreach Unit. In each episode, we'll be talking to UCR students, campus leaders, and community partners to explore the intersection of being Black and being a Highlander at UCR. And I can't wait for you to meet today's guest. Let's get started. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the Blue, Gold, and Black podcast. My name is Dominique Beal. I am your host. Super excited to amplify another Black voice on campus today. Coming to us from the history department, we have Professor Jody Benjamin, who specializes in African history. We're going to be talking to Professor Benjamin a little bit about his upbringing and what inspired him to pursue a deeper understanding of our people's history. Um, Professor Benjamin, how are you doing today? I'm very well. Thank you. No problem. Thank you so much for being here. Super excited. So Mm -hmm. obviously I gave you a quick brief introduction, but could you tell our audience um, a little bit more specifically about what you do here as a professor at UCR? Mm -hmm. Well, sure. Yeah. So um, basically I'm an historian of West Africa and my research has focused on the social and cultural histories Mm. of Senegal, Mali, and Guinea. Mm-hmm. Um, in the period before 1850. So that is um, in the pre-colonial period. Mm. Yeah. Interesting. So with that, talk to us a little bit about like some of the courses that uh, you offer under that that purview of your, of your study. What are some of the courses that you offer here um, at UCR that students can take advantage of? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so um, I teach several different courses basically on early and modern African history, Mm. right, as well as on aspects of the African diaspora. Mm -hmm. And um, so, for example, on the African history side, I have a course on medieval African history, right, where we learn about um, places uh, like ancient Mali, Mm. uh, Great Zimbabwe, the sort of... um, kingdoms of Ethiopia, Mm. et cetera. Mm -hmm. So that's a lot of fun and very interesting. And and then I have um, a course that kind of straddles both sides because uh, it looks at the work of W.B. Du Bois Mm. um, and his lifelong engagement with African history. And of course he dies in Ghana, right, Mm -hmm. in 1963, Mm -hmm. trying to sort of Um, complete his lifelong dream project of Mm. the Encyclopedia Africana, right? Mm. An encyclopedia of um, knowledge about Africa and African peoples. And so the students, you know, we get to learn about um, his contributions as a scholar and his thinking, right, as it develops over time. So, yeah, so I have a lot of um, courses along those lines. I try to come up with um, kind of unusual angles, you might think, uh, you might think of it that way, mm. um, to really um, kind of shake up what people think history is, right? Yes. And and the different ways we can access knowledge about it. Um, yeah. And so, so yeah. So, no, I can that, go on, but that gives it, you some sense for sure. No, for sure. Um, and that's and it's very interesting, and we're, we're definitely going to unpack this more throughout the interview. But um, this how to conceptualize African history, um, Mm -hmm. I think is very unique, right? 
Um, when we start using terms like colonial period, pre-colonial period, medieval period, mm-hmm. and then we mm-hmm. have a a number that's associated or a group mm-hmm. of numbers that are associated with that time. But it's our grasping of time as it relates to African history is is very complex, at least to mm-hmm. me. Um, and that's one of the interesting things about it. Can you just really briefly, um, before we move on, talk about how important time is obviously Mm. time is important to history but maybe Mm -hmm. more of like the abstract side of how time plays into history specifically as it pertains to african history can you expand on that a little bit well just i mean i think it's an interesting question because um you know i think if you're thinking about time the first thing that would come to mind for historians right is that there's multiple conceptions of time and particularly Mm. for historians of africa right because um, just in thinking about, say, the Christian calendar, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so we're in year 2020. Um, but then uh, for much of the era that I study, Islam has been very important for centuries there, right? And sure. so um, people are operating under a different calendar, right? And then mm-hmm. beyond Islam, there are multiple um, sort of local and regional um, ways of thinking about time, right, mm. and dividing up the week. And so, um, I don't know, I think it's interesting you asked the question, but mm-hmm. I think of that that's one of many reasons, right, that mm. makes um, the study of the history of Africa, i.e. the continent of mm-hmm. Africa, um, really, um, you know, interesting and challenging and dynamic, right? Yeah. Um, No, thank you. Um, And we're going to have some more of those (laughs) questions later on when we kind of dive into your research a little bit more. But I want to provide some context to the work that you do. So I want to talk about you a little bit. Um, Can you tell our audience um, where it is that you grew up and some of the experiences you had throughout growing up throughout your childhood that were kind of instrumental in shaping how you viewed the world? Hmm. Uh, yeah. So, well, let's see. I guess first off, in terms of uh, my my birth, right? I was born in Brooklyn, New York, and mm. raised in Philadelphia. And um, most of my family is in Philly now. Okay. And um, I've lived in different parts of the country over the years, um, but I've been here in Southern California for the past five years. Right? Okay. So that's just a little bit of the sort of general background. Mm-hmm. Um, in terms of my growing up life. Um, I basically grew up in a uh, working class black community neighborhood. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but Philly's a historical city and the neighborhood that I grew up was very historical. So that mm-hmm. was always very present, right? So it some of the earliest kind of abolitionist movements in the country, yeah, even before the country was United States happened like literally in my neighborhood. So, wow. so there's a sense of that. And I was always the kind of person that was curious and interested in this kind of thing. So, you know, it was also, I think that probably um, just built upon itself over the years and kind of Mm. developed into this avocation that I now have as a, as a scholar and academic. Um, But in terms of my background, more about it, uh, raised by a single mother, she lived within 15 minutes of her parents. So there's a real sense of neighborhood and community mm. over, over a long period of time. Mm-hmm. And we had um, extended family basically between Philly and New York. Mm. Um, and so that um, was kind of the, the context, went to public schools. 
um, tested into what they called then magnet schools. I don't know mm-hmm. what they call them now, but basically, no, yeah, they still have those. <laughs> <laughs> um, that pulled people from throughout the city. So, so that was interesting um, mm-hmm. um, in terms of um, you know my neighborhood schools being predominantly mm-hmm. African American, and then going to these magnet schools where um, it was um, people from all over, right mm-hmm. and um there was a yeah so no yeah and so with a little bit of that context uh Mm -hmm. growing up in a very like community heavy area an area that Mm -hmm. already kind of has its own rich history in and Mm -hmm. of itself um and growing up with you know around predominantly african-americans how was your perception of blackness shaped throughout all of those experiences um what did Mm -hmm. you learn about blackness or black history, um, whether here in America or from other traditions in your childhood that were mm-hmm. really formative for you? Mm-hmm. Um, well, I mean, there's, there's a lot really. And I kind of, I mean, at this stage of life, I look back on it and appreciate it a great deal, you mm. know, because I mean, Philly is about 40% black. Um, so there's a large black population and has, kind of long and deep history, right, Mm. in the city. So there's a lot of kind of major cultural figures that come out of there. And so even on um, sort of my own sort of personal level in my neighborhood, right, there was a sense of, um, I don't know, Black music, famous, Mm. you know, um, sports figures, et cetera. So there was a real kind of engagement, I think, with um, Black achievement and Mm. um, people, you know, we all had people that we followed and admired, et cetera. Sure, sure. Um, I'd also say that, um, you know, thinking back on it, Philly is, um, there's, there's a lot of different kinds of Black people, right? Mm. So, you know, so it's, so it's diverse in that level. So whether it's, we're talking about a religious level, sort of varieties of Black Christians, we have mm-hmm. Black Muslims, there were people from um, various Caribbean islands, Haiti, mm-hmm. Jamaica, Barbados, Wow. People from down south. So everybody yeah. kind of had a different, um, you know, you're sort of exposed to a lot. Yeah. You know? um, and then I would say in my own family, um, I was fortunate enough to be, um, you know, the family really uh, is a family of uh, readers, right? Yes. Book lovers and music lovers. Right. And th- And those are two major kind of vehicles for knowledge and culture transmission yeah and um so i i was surrounded by that yeah i think i think that's really dope um and it's really unique i you know i i don't especially like when i was growing up like i had a you know a lot of you know black friends but the majority of them were african-americans it wasn't really Mm -hmm. until high school that i really began meeting people like Nigerians and various Mm -hmm. other African ethnicities. Um, And it was interesting, you know, and just because of how I looked at them, like they were still black to me, you know, (laughs) like Mm -hmm. you're from Mm -hmm. Nigeria or from wherever you are, but that's still how we identified with each other in that environment. Mm -hmm. Um, Where did you grow up? I grew up in Southern California within the Inland Empire. Um, Okay. So throughout elementary school, um, you know, it, it wasn't a ton of black kids, but there were mm-hmm. still 
that that was my main fr- uh, friend group growing up, essentially. And so mm-hmm. playing sports and stuff obviously added to that as well. But um, just kind of like that whole aspect of being able to grow up with different types of black people and just be very aware of it. it, it it's it's a really dope feeling and I, it really expands your worldview and maybe kind of even to me provides a little bit of security in where you stand in this diaspora as an African-American, you know, being able to Mm -hmm. have those types of um, experiences. So Mm -hmm. what was your relationship growing up with education? Did you always know Mm -hmm. that you want to go to college or was it something that your mother or your, your family was like, you're going to college? Mm -hmm. How, how did you decide to pursue higher education? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, I mean, it happened in stages, but I would say definitely in high school coming up, there was a sense that I was going to go to college. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I was always pretty um, good in school. Right. So that mm-hmm. also was a factor. But I think there was a sense. I mean, my mother didn't finish college and her father um, didn't wasn't able to go to college. Right. Mm-hmm. And so. So, I mean, really with my generation, it was still a sense of um, college degree. I mean, although I wasn't the first, I was among the first, right, to, mm-hmm. to do that. Mm-hmm. And then in terms of how I come into academia at this level, I mean, I um, basically, you know, I went to undergraduate, but at the end of it, I didn't really know, um, I didn't really think of myself as becoming an academic. Right. Mm. I didn't I didn't really know much about it, even though like I grew up around readers, like I said, but mm-hmm. none of them were professors. Right. And really right. in terms of reading academic work, we didn't really have any access to that. Right. In terms mm. of how where does that come from? How does it come together, et cetera? So I never really considered it at that time. Mm. Right. Um, and uh, long story short, what happened is I went off into journalism. Uh, mm-hmm. And so I. Uh, wound up working in newspapers for several years, mm-hmm. right? And um, uh, eventually came to a point basically where I started to rethink, right, um, mm-hmm. about the possibilities of um, basically going into academia and becoming a professor, mm-hmm. right? Um, which involves some of the same skills, right, that I was using as a reporter. I was going to say um, journalism... But, yeah is just another way of telling history in a lot of senses, is it not? Yeah, yeah. And actually, I did some um, some historical pieces. I was mm. working in South Florida at the time, and I did uh, I remember doing a piece on a black hotel in Miami. Mm. And uh, it was incredible. I mean, you know, when you start to really get into the stories of people in, the, in that neighborhood, mm-hmm. um, Liberty City, et cetera, um, and the way it developed over time, mm. right? And so in that area, there's um, there are sort of Floridians, um, Southerners of many generations, right? But there's also a lot of people from the Bahamas. Um, right. And so the, the sort of, I would say that's the bulk of one part of the Black community there. Mm-hmm. And um, very rich history, very interesting through the period of segregation mm. and... Um, um, and then into what followed that. So, right. so it was always a pleasure. Um, and really, I just saw an opportunity um, to go back to graduate school. Um, and at that point, I was interested in working particularly um, on Africa, mm. 
on, on African history. So, um, so those are the kind of programs I applied to and mm-hmm. uh, I got into a graduate program. Nice. And, and so just really quickly, just to kind of talk about your undergraduate experience a little bit, mm-hmm. um, what was that like for you in terms of how you felt your identity developing as, as a young black man at that point? Um, going through your undergrad dis- experience? What were some of the things um, that you participated in or went through that mm-hmm. were really formative? Mm-hmm. Um, well, that's interesting. Glad you're bringing this up because it's mm-hmm. good memories in mm-hmm. a sense. Nice. But um, <laughs> it that was one of the attractions, actually. I wound up going to a small school in the Midwest, mm-hmm. Oberlin College. Mm-hmm. It's in um, Lorraine. It's near Lorraine, Ohio, just outside Cleveland. Okay. So very different from where I grew up. Sure. Um, but they that's also a really interesting um, historical place. It was um, it was a site on the Underground Railroad, right? Mm. Um, and um, became one of the first places um, in the in the country, right, to admit um, African American students. Wow. Right. So anyway, but that's I didn't know all that before I got there. But um, sure, sure. <laughs> there was an active. Um, black student community there yeah. and man i remember going there as a prospective student just being amazed you know how you are when you're like you know 17 or whatever mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. and people who are like 21 22 seem incredible right right and so but they were very um they were very sort of organized and progressive they had we had something called abusua which was mm. the black student union which was sort of modeled on um kind of Ghanaian kind of family organization right and so we learned so they were very progressive right so we learned about you know uh things like Kwanzaa and sort of the Nguzu Saba um you know there was a real sense that um you know just sort of validating um black people on campus and that black people were doing incredible things in whichever field that they were pursuing mm-hmm. you know so it was it was an exciting time but i also learned that was a time when i really understood that there was a lot to learn right, right and, and to be clear people. yeah for sure and to be clear what exactly did you major in during undergrad uh, yeah so i wound up in uh i did black studies um, okay and french okay you know? oh wow so, nice. so, so you can also see how it comes together later right for sure for sure yeah. Um, one thing that so far throughout your story that I find interesting is it's not, I guess it's not surprising that you're a historian <laughs> just after kind of highlighting um, your upbringing and some of your college experiences. That's why it's interesting that when you finished college, you weren't quite sure um, how to maybe approach it that way. And so you got into journalism, which is like historian adjacent i mean it's it's very close but what's also interesting is just your relationship with history from the onset seems to have been very intimate like just like you said Mm. with the city that you grew up in being Mm -hmm. you know one of the launching pads of abolition you know movement within the country of america at that time and where you went to college being a stop on the underground railroad, it almost kind of just seemed like Mm. metaphorically, you know, like the, that's, that was your trajectory (laughs) all the time. It's kind of funny thinking about it like that. It it is. I think from hindsight, it it makes perfect sense. Right. Mm -hmm. Well, you couldn't have told me that. (laughs) (laughs) 
at the time. No, no. Yeah. No. no. And, you know, that's what hindsight is for. But, you know, I, I, it's cool to me to recognize it. So, and also because one of the questions that I was going to ask you was just what inspired specifically for when you went back to graduate school to focus on African history, but you did black studies in undergrad, you mm-hmm, grew up mm-hmm. and experienced these historical mm-hmm. places. So it's mm-hmm. clear that that's the inspiration, but the mm-hmm. switch to focusing on African history sp- mm-hmm. specifically when you have mm-hmm. a lot of African-American historical context mm-hmm. in your earlier mm-hmm. years, what was, what inspired that switch? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, I mean, I did have, um, I would say most of my work in black studies uh, was around African-American history. Mm-hmm. Right. But in those years, when I was an undergrad, we still used the term black history and mm-hmm. or black studies mm-hmm. as opposed to African-American studies. Right. And the sort of conception of black studies was, as I always understood it at its inception, a kind of, you know, global um, conception of blackness. Right. Which sure. included Africa. Sure. And um, actually, I think, to be quite honest, um, I don't even think I was even that tuned in. There wasn't much Africa on on offer in terms mm-hmm. of the historical options. I did take um, a couple classes, mm-hmm. but I wasn't even really focused right on that part of the story i would say at that mm-hmm. time um what led to the switch i think that um i had begun to become interested in basically later on in life how um africa as a place um and as a place that people thought about historically kind of would come up in conversations right okay. about um about black people, about African Americans um, in our past, etc. Mm-hmm. But um, there was always a sense for me that that was kind of a gaping hole in my overall education. Sure. Um, and yet I was convinced, based on everything else I sort of had been exposed to, mm-hmm. that um, that it would be an amazing thing to to undertake. Right. Yeah. And I felt I had the the skills and the background. Mm-hmm. And I felt like, you know, wow, a lot of people are African-American studies is a huge field, right? Um, there's a huge number of people working in Caribbean history, you know? Yeah. Um, why should I not use my skills, right? Mm-hmm. To So it's like, if you don't see it, why don't you just do something, right? About like creating it, right? And sure, so, sure. So that's kind of, that's kind of what the feeling was. Nice. And so take us through then you know, just kind of walk us through, you know, your 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 graduate studies as an African historian. Um, what did you just kind of tell us again, what you were focusing on throughout that time period and what manifested um, from your your graduate uh, high, higher education experience? Um, yeah, well, so I basically uh, I was accepted into the um, Department of African and African-American Studies at mm-hmm. Harvard. And um, basically, when you're coming in, you uh, start to sort of at least sketch out sort of your path through the program. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think because of my own background, I was um, knew I wanted to work in West Africa and most likely Francophone West Africa. Mm. Um, And um, so that kind of determined a general um, area. 
and um, you are required to um, whatever you do in the program um, have specialization in at least one European and one African language. Hmm. So, so that was and and there's and that that's an that's an important intervention, right? That um, people who get trained in African studies now do. It's it's far more important than it used to be in earlier generations. Right. Um, so the language basically that I picked was Bamana Khan, which is um, spoken in Mali. Okay. And um, so that's what I studied and sort of have a basic knowledge of now. Mm. Um, but I would say um, in terms of the the particular research that I've done, um, I've really uh, tried to pivot between um, English language sources and French language sources. And then I also um, use a bit of oral traditions that are um, have been collected there, um, mm. most, mostly in Bamana. Can you talk about your experience of being able to connect with the oral tradition? Um, I, I think it's, <laughs> for the most part, well known that African peoples in particular have a strong oral tradition from here in America mm-hmm. to back to the continent. Mm-hmm. Um, and being able to connect with history through those oral traditions seems to be like a very unique way to to experience history because obviously what's written down, you know, not everything is transla- uh, has translations. Not everything mm-hmm. was written down, or if it was written down, who wrote it down? Right, you have to mm-hmm. be very critical about who wrote it down as well. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. from your experience of being able to connect with a culture through their language directly, mm-hmm. really, like, how did that just expand your mind in terms of your understanding of history? Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, um, great question. I I would say that um, I would just take it back to my first experiences in Mali because that's where I started to go um, during the summers and um, had language training there. Mm. Um, but I would say that was an incredible experience, right, and a humbling experience sure. in terms of really beginning to wrap my head around, right, how large the world is, right, mm-hmm. and how diverse it is, right, and um, and how large the black world is, yeah. right, um, yeah. and so um, <clears throat> I would say Bamako is where I spent most of my time, the capital of Mali, and mm-hmm. it's a fascinating place because you start to understand very quickly that um, things like the Sunjata epic. Right. That's mm. kind of a classic of world literature. That's kind of wow. story of the birth of um, Sunjata Keita, who becomes the first ruler of the Empire of Mali. Mm. That that story is um, sort of um, it felt to me part of the lived experience of, you know, contemporary Bamako today mm. <laughs> right? because of the sort of intense focus on um, on lineage and backgrounds and um, kind of it's so for example you know people meeting each other on the street right uh, perhaps for the first time you know sort of first questions right is you know what's your what's your name right mm-hmm. and um, but the but that answer is like very you know critical um, mm-hmm. because you know particular names signify um, whole sort of backstories and wow. a series of that people you know engage with quite 
literally and quite seriously. Mm -hmm. And so that was incredible to me um, mm -hmm. because just to sort of witness it mm -hmm. um, because it said to me that because there's because when you learn the African history, you start to learn about sort of debates over the um, validity mm -hmm. or the usefulness of yeah. oral tradition to historians. Right. Mm -hmm. And there is a problem of sort of Western approaches and understandings of history and mm -hmm. the, the understandings that come out of Mali. Right. Um, but, you know, sort of debates over the sort of validity of this oral tradition. Mm. And it's just kind of, it kind of blows your mind a little bit to realize that it doesn't matter what you all think. Because, yeah. <laughs> you know, large pluralities of people are living this. Right. Exactly. So, so, so that's that's point one. Yeah. Um, I would also say you got to remember that um, sort of places like uh, Mali and um, Guinea, and to some extent, um, sort of that whole region, Senegal, Gambia, etc., are unique in the sense that there is a very particular and developed um, oral tradition. Okay. Right? And practices of transmitting that um, mm. that have you know, been around for a very long time. And so different parts of the African continent, different parts of West Africa, right, have different mm -hmm. relationships to oral tradition. Right? Gotcha. Even though everybody might practice it, it's not the same every everywhere. Okay. So, yeah. And so, so no, and that's, thank you for sharing. Um, because, again, as important of a role as oral traditions play in African people's even that in and of itself is so diverse, right? Like the countries you mm -hmm. listed out, um, you know, in, in around Mali and stuff, they have a very developed tradition that might be different than other West African-based countries. And so kind of going back to what I said in the beginning, it, it can be very hard to conceptualize Africa, right? Like in a very mm -hmm. true sense, because mm -hmm. it is so diverse, uh, diverse, mm -hmm. <laughs> diverse. It yeah. is so vast. It is so mm -hmm. diverse. Um, mm -hmm. The most, di one of the most diverse places in the world in terms of mm -hmm. even just peoples and ethnic mm -hmm. groups. Mm -hmm. um, and I guess how, how can a student better approach if they want to approach any within the African diaspora, any type of history, how can students kind of better approach um, African based, African people based history? Um, because I feel like it can be a pretty daunting thing. It can mm -hmm. be a very emotional thing. And mm -hmm. depending on, you know, where you grew up, it could be something that you have no, no true sense of, right? Mm -hmm. Here in America, African history is not taught. African-American history is sprinkled in here or mm -hmm. there. And if you're fortunate mm -hmm. enough to have, you know, a teacher that is that adamant about it, you can get that knowledge. But by mm -hmm. and large, um, it's not available. And then... Mm -hmm. Who knows about the struggles that different African peoples face in terms of understanding their own history with from their regions? Mm -hmm. So how can students kind of like approach what may be like a super daunting topic or a mm -hmm. super daunting um, area of study and make it more um, conducive to what they're already interested in? Mm -hmm. Um, well, I think the first thing is to recognize that, you know, there's many, there's many ways, right? There's many paths. There's not like mm. one or sort of a limited number because, mm -hmm. um, the, you know, I think the more you start looking, the more you start finding, 
Okay. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> so I think you can sort of rest assured that whatever the sort of interest is, right? If you're interested in focusing on um, Black pop people or um, communities or you know people from particular countries or mm. you know that you can find that. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, let's see. How would you do it? Uh, well, one way is to kind of take a course, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, um, just in a very sort of simple way in terms of you're going to get exposed to a lot of writers and a lot of sort of books that can kind mm-hmm. of take you in different directions. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's a lot of stuff around. Oh, excuse me. There's a lot of stuff around. So, mm-hmm. for example, um, I don't know. um Los Angeles that well, um, mm-hmm. but I know there's a lot of rich black history here, right? Mm-hmm. And and get me, I have t- taken a particular path to focus on Africa, but I, you know, African American history is incredible on its own, right? right? And I think can be understood in its own way. Um, and so, really, there's an embarrassment of riches is mm. kind of one of my points. So you could, it could be as simple as, um, you know going to you know places like the african-american museum there in la which i have understood is pretty pretty good i don't know Mm -hmm. it very well but you know sort of going to these film festivals Mm -hmm. um sort of getting involved in some sort of cultural production because that's or whatever it is that you're that you're interested in sure um i think if you're interested in in africa itself um you know uh again, you know, you know, take a course, there's all kinds of, um, there's bookstores where you start can start to check out like mm-hmm. how they populate the African history section and kind of just mm-hmm. follow your interests or not, mm-hmm. not even African history, it could be African music or, mm-hmm. you know, um, African science or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So, I, yeah. I think that's important because for instance, my intro or not introduction, but like the, the gateway that made me dive deeper into African slash African-American history or just wanted me to get with psychology, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so for me, I had to understand very quickly, like to understand black psychology, you need to begin to develop an understanding of black history. Um, mm-hmm. And if you want to be able to identify why certain things are the way they are, why certain behaviors persist or whatever. Um, and there's such a rich history um, around this idea of black psychology and more broadly than that, like this idea of Pan-African philosophy and thought. Um, And so you can explore history, black history in a multitude of ways through Mm -hmm. music, through art, various forms of art through like me, psychology or Mm -hmm. economics or like all of that stuff. There is a black history for those various subjects. And Mm -hmm. I think one of the things I like to try to inspire students to do is like, if you're interested in whatever subject it is that you're interested in, how can you supplement that with a cultural context? Right. Um, if mm-hmm. you're, if you want to be a doctor, right. What, what more can you do as a doctor? If you have an understanding of how black people were treated medically in this country over a period of time or throughout the world, right? It just adds a lot of context. And to me, that can add a lot of um, meaning into the things that you can already do. Mm -hmm. I I would, I agree with you. And I would even take it um, even another step because 
say, for example, the psychology um, example and say, say you're learning about somebody like Freud, I think you had mentioned before, right? So Freud operated in a context, mm-hmm. you know, he lived and died, right? So there's a time period in which he lived and came to develop his ideas. Well, guess what? There, if you start looking, you're going to find a black angle on that context, right? right. Somewhere there, there may have been um, black medical professionals that had an opinion on the very things that Freud was writing about. Right. Or even if they weren't um, sort of um, professionals or writers themselves, mm-hmm. they may have been talking, right? Or mm-hmm. sort of, you know, there's a perspective. Mm-hmm. on the things that Freud was writing about that was being articulated, right, in mm-hmm. among different Black um, people. So that is a way to kind of open up the conversation, right, mm-hmm. that on the one hand seems to not have any Black participation, right? Mm-hmm. And you open that up and discover that it's there right. and that it actually has a lot to give to you, mm. right, um, that you can use to develop yourself as a psychologist or, you know, is what was the other example? Let's say if you're a doctor or a lawyer, mm-hmm. right? The whole history of black doctors, right? Yeah. <laughs> right. Which is incredible, which would also kind of, you could also take it in the direction of um, sort of uh, what's the word people who are not professionally trained, but say like enslaved people, right. Who were herbalists. Right? Yes. Um, so there's, it doesn't matter what the topic is. I um, come. I feel like I'm at a place where, you know, we really need to pay more attention to the fact that there's always a black context. Yes. <laughs> right. Yes. So, uh, so what no, do you know I, about that? I love that. Um, peep the context. Right. That's I, that's one of my favorite sayings because it's so valuable. Um, but with that, um, like, what what are some of the challenges? would you say that students might face early on, like maybe they're interested in pursuing history um, mm-hmm. and then maybe they change their mind because they ran into some challenges. What are some of those challenges, like a few that you can bring off the top of your head in ways that students can combat those challenges? Mm-hmm. Um, well, I don't know. I think, I mean, one of the things about um, history as a field and taking history classes, basically they're very kind of reading and writing intensive. Mm. So um, I think, you know, some students can, that can be challenging, right? Mm-hmm. Because if you don't have a habit of, of reading a lot, right? Mm-hmm. And then you're managing four or five classes yeah. and then maybe, you know, a job or family life, et cetera, it can be, um, you know, that can be a challenge, right? Sure. Um, but I think if you, if that doesn't, you know, set you off or turn you off um, and you sort of can come in with um, sort of an openness towards that. Mm-hmm. Um, what would be the challenges? Um, I think that I don't really know how to answer that. Like in terms sure. of, I think it goes to the person's motivation. Gotcha. I think that we certainly have resources here to try to lead people to things that they can accomplish within a finite period mm-hmm. that will increase their capacity. Right. Got you. Um, and we should all remember that, you know, this is we're still University of California here. And whatever you think about it, this is one of the, you know, premier university systems right in the country. Mm-hmm. And so there's a ton of resources here. Yes. So it's a question of tapping into and taking advantage of all of that. 
Yes, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Take advantage of the resources. Super important. Yeah. So we're coming up at the end of our interview. So I have one last mm-hmm. question for you. Um, mm-hmm. Might be a little bit of a big question, but <laughs> just in the work that you do, obviously, there's just obviously a, a, a very strong love for, you know, blackness and African peoples. What What is one of your most optimistic visions of the future when it comes to the next couple of generations of black UCR scholars, what is it that you see for them and want for them? Um, interesting. Well, I would say from my perception coming here um, to UCR that there is, you know, a, a, I would say a small black community, but one that has impressed me as being um, quite organized in a way Mm. and having its own kind of center of gravity right that is um is you know significant and so i would like to to sort of see that you know built upon right Mm -hmm. and um it's funny so in the history department um we lost one of our emeritus colleagues um Mm. a couple of years ago um professor sterling stuckey and he had been at ucr for 25 years or more, but he's somebody wow. who really, um, he came out of Chicago, was originally mm-hmm. from Tennessee, but he was um, very active in the civil rights movement mm. and then entered academia and kind of was very influential in the development of black studies. Right. Because remember black studies came out of kind of social unrest, let's call it. Sure, <laughs> right. Sure, sure. Um, and so there's a way that that kind of pushed black studies into Mm -hmm. the into the academy and so he was very instrumental in that and um i think that he thought that um that ucr would and could have a very vibrant um community of Mm -hmm. people interested in and committed to learning about um you know all aspects of black history including african history so um you know ucr is not starting from scratch yeah. And one of the things that I think is very critical is that, um, you know, sort of um, linkages don't slip and sort of opportunities drop, <laughs> you know, in terms of because people, everybody comes along and acts like, you know, there's nothing here. I'm Christopher Columbus. I'm starting, you know, everything sure. fresh. Right. Sure. And actually what we really need to do is pay more attention to each other. Exactly. In, and things that are already in place and try to yeah. build on that. So, yeah. No, thank you. Um, thank you so much for sharing that. I, I always try to, you know, end these with a, a sense of optimism, a sense of hope, mm-hmm. a sense of what is it that, you know, we're working towards when it comes to future generations after us. So I appreciate you sharing that sentiment. Um, mm-hmm. Dr. Benjamin, we we really enjoyed having you on the Blue, Gold, and Black podcast. We were super happy to amplify yes. your voice. Um, thank you so much for, for being here and giving us your time today. Thank you for um, for inviting me and super happy to, to talk to you. So Yes, no problem. We'll definitely have to have you back on in the future to continue this history discussion. So All right. No problem. We'll catch you guys later. Check us out. All right. Be well. 
Thank you for joining us on Blue, Gold, and Black. This program is produced by the Community Engagement and Outreach Unit of Undergraduate Admissions at the University of California, Riverside. Learn more about attending UCR by visiting admissions.ucr.edu. And be sure to check out the description for other useful links and resources. Help support this podcast by liking, subscribing, and sharing. And be sure to check out our podcast videos on YouTube. Catch you guys later.